Mark is recounting uh, Peter's recollections because he's a disciple of Peter. Remember, he kind of broke off from from Paul. They had a split there. (laughs) And so then uh, Peter picked him up, and Peter starts telling him his eyewitness accounts of the ministry of Jesus. Mark is not an apostle, all right? He is, he is, he, but he had been in Jerusalem, so he had seen some first-hand accounts, but he was not a hand-chosen disciple, apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Peter takes him under his wing as a son in the faith and tells him these things. And so you can kind of read into this and see the urgency as Peter was. He was all about getting things done. Let's go first and ask questions later, right? And that's what it is with, with Mark's gospel hill. It's a fast-paced, action-packed, uh, moving, uh, and it's a wonderful book to start off with new believers or someone even inquiring about the gospel. That's a great book to have them start in. And in verse number 10, we see immediately that word. Jesus is uh, coming up from the water. He saw the heavens open, verse number 10, and, and parting, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. That is, Jesus at this moment was anointed by the Spirit of God. Father in heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The, the, the heavens open. The Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove. And in the Old Testament, don't think that that's something unusual because in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and certain kings within the, 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 the Jewish faith, the Jewish uh, nation, is, was uh, anointed. Uh, they were they were com- they were commissioned for a job, and therefore they were uh, anointed uh, by uh, by a, a priest or, or or someone like that. And this is a picture of what's now um, uh, occurring in Jesus's life. The Spirit of God has anointed him with power, power to meet the needs and the demands of ministry that's going to be set before him. Because we see right after that that he's being driven into the wilderness, the desert area. And you know what? That's what the Spirit does many times in our lives. He comes and he, 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 he gives us power to withstand the, the, uh, the tactics, the schemes uh, of the devil. Or the old King James calls it the wiles, W-I-L-E-S, the wiles of the devil. And it simply means the tactic, the schemes of the devil. So here Jesus coming up from the water is anointed by the Spirit with power. Some weeks later, we find Jesus teaching in a synagogue in Nazareth. And back then, they were what we called open, open speakers in that they didn't have enough priest to house every synagogue, so a scribe would come in. He would read a certain scripture and then open it up for any traveling rabbi to give interpretation of that scripture. And uh, so it was a little different back then. And many times Jesus would have an open invitation to speak on certain passages. A few weeks after his baptism, we find him in Nazareth uh, uh, quoting, not reading, but quoting Isaiah chapter 61, which dealt with this issue that we're talking about. And he applied it. He applied those words to himself. Look at it with me. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He's talking, to him, he's talking about himself. 
to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim liberty to the captives and and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's all in review for this time. So after he is, the Bible says in verse number 12, that immediately after his baptism, he's what? Driven where? Into, underline it, the wilderness. That's what I want to address today. The wilderness. We see that many times, that phrase, the wilderness. The wilderness. So I want you to write down this point. I have three thoughts as I thought about the wilderness. I want to dive down a little bit in it. And the first thing I thought about was the wilderness is purposed by God. The wilderness is purposed by God. Verse number 12, there's a reason behind it. And now Jesus went into this barren place. We in our lives will, will, uh, will experience barrenness. You will experience times when there's no life, when there's no vitality. There will be dullness. There will be, if you want to say it like this, boredom. Now, don't take that frivolously because your faith is a journey. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Your faith will decrease and at times your faith will increase. It is a marathon till the end. It is not a sprint. And so you have to understand in one's life there are seasons. And many times you may be in what is called a wilderness. That does not mean that God has abandoned you. That is mean that, that you are there for a reason. That's why I want you to write that down. There is a purpose behind it. It's not this thing of the time in your life that you're in. But I want to tell you something. There is a purpose behind the wilderness. The Bible says immediately after Jesus is baptized that the Spirit drives him into, you see it, verse number 12, into the wilderness. Jesus, that, that driving there is, is a compelling. But anyway, we were, we're referring to that. Uh, God speaking to us. And here the, the Spirit of God, which just anointed Jesus, is now driving him. It's, it's leading him. This is where you are to go. Boy, wouldn't that be great in life? Wouldn't that be wonderful? God, won't you just give that to me? I mean, to always have the right step, the perfect step. Yeah, a couple of you are shaking your head. Some of you are still out there. I don't know where I'm at, Doug. I'm in the blaze. Focus. Focus. Get with it. Come on. The devil will just try to distract you any way he can. Focus. This is your time to receive what God would have for you today. I'm trying to help you. The wilderness will be experienced by everybody that's a believer. You need to be ready for it. Jesus willingly went into the wilderness. The Spirit drives him there. It was that inner compulsion, a powerful urge to go away from everybody into a wild area, untamed, scorpions, snakes. I would faint right there. Hyenas, bears, tires, lions, gorillas, I don't know. But there was a lot more things back then than there are today in the wilderness just because of the population and things have been killed out. But back then, it was beast ran. And that's where he's going. Keep going. And he, Jesus, was there four hours. What's it say? 
40 days. Did Jesus know that he was going to be in the desert, wilderness, abandoned place for 40 days? Be careful because he's man. He did not. He just knew that the Spirit was leading him out into this desert place, abandoned. No one's going with him. He don't even have any apostles with him right now. Remember, that hasn't even been done yet. He's just been baptized. No one's following him. He hasn't done any miracles, not one. We know from John chapter 2 that his first miracle was at the wedding of Cana. He did no miracles as a teenager. He did no miracles as an adolescent. He did no miracles as a youngster. He did no miracles as a young adult. The first miracle was when John chapter 2 records it. So don't be into all these other teachings of Jesus did this when he was a young boy, did that was a young boy. We know for fact what his first miracle was. So he was just a normal person. If you make Jesus anything more than human, you've made him into a Superman, Batman, Avenger, and he's not. Jesus couldn't leap over tall buildings in a single bound, right? He only did that after he was resurrected. But when he was here, he set aside all those divine priorities and willingly came down and lived a life like you would not believe, of total surrender to God. So don't make Jesus in your mind something that he's not. That's creating a God in your own mind. That's a, that's a Ten Commandment rule. You shouldn't be doing that. So he is human, and he's showing us that by faith, you can do exactly what I do. Jesus says, by faith, you would do greater things than this. It's in there somewhere. Don't have the address off the top of my head, but believe me, it's in there. So Jesus is being driven into the wilderness. He did not know how long. But we know, looking on hindsight, that it's 40 days. All right? Keep going. Why was he there? He didn't know, but Satan was going to have his time of tempting, and the Father was going to have his time of testing. Write that down. The Father never tempts. The Father tests. And he will test every one of us, ladies and gentlemen. Don't think just because you're a believer that it's all going to be sunshine and roses. God will test your love. Don't put your children out in front of a TV and say, Oh, I trust them to watch anything they want to watch. You better test them. Shame on you if you don't. Our father tests us, and he's testing his own son. Why don't you test yours instead of giving them a blank check? Because if your children are like mine, they're not perfect. Well, maybe yours are, but mine aren't. And there are times that I have to test them and take away certain things because they failed the test. When they earned it again, I would relinquish it back in whatever area it was. You test your children all the way through life. Our God never finishes testing us until we're popping up daisies. Then he's finished testing us. Keep going. So he's tempted not, test, not tested by Satan. He's tempted by Satan. He's tested by God. Now, we find him going out into the wilderness to identify with, with sinful humanity. Where else do we find Jesus identifying with sinful humanity? On the cross, he was hung between two sinners, thieves, identifying as a criminal. We find him here going into the wilderness to be tempted, just like, are you guys and gals tempted? Shake your head, yes, yes. Okay, some of you are. Some of you are getting there. And then, and then also, where do we find him identifying with humanity? We find him also at his baptism, identifying with him. Not because he had sin, right? But he's identifying 
with sinful humanity and our temptation. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse number 15, it reminds us, and it says this, and he was there in the wilderness, but, but he says that we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is now our intercessors, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's our high priest. Matthew and, and the Gospel of Luke, they, they point out three temptations that Jesus was faced with by Satan in the wilderness and how Jesus resisted Satan each time. Amen? Now, Mark here, Mark tells us that Jesus faced more than three temptations. So you're thinking, okay, there's 40 days, three temptations, a lot of downtime. No, no, no. There, there's more than just three. That's the only ones that Matthew and Luke record. The entire 40-day period, get this in your heads, was a time of testing by God the entire time and tempting by the devil. Satan came to tempt him in every possible way imaginable. He assaulted him. They don't, go, they don't give us any other detail but those three, right? That's the only ones we know about. So he was, he was assaulted. He was, he was examined. He was scrutinized. He was bombarded with every temptation. You think you have a lot of temptations and trials in life. Jesus had every one of them. Miraculously, 40 days, nonstop, I mean the, the waking hours that he had, temptations that people, you and I, are... are um, subjected to there in the desert. Satan had his will and way. He could bring anything in any shape, form, and fashion. And believe me, he's a very intellectual being, more so than you and I. Don't you make him a dummy. That's not him. There in the desert, Jesus was pressured like you and I never met from Satan himself. And I don't know, I can't say for a fact that every Christian has been tempted by Satan, but I can say we have been tempted Satan usually don't go around to every believer. He usually goes to the high and mighty. You understand? Because if you can get the high and mighty, that kills a lot of it. But you may have demonic stuff happening, but not Satan himself necessarily. And I'm not going to say never, but we don't see that in Scripture many times. We see demons doing a lot of the work. But Satan, he went for the big, big one. I'll personally do this. And I'm sure he had help as well from his emissaries out in the desert. And so Jesus was probed, pressured in every way imaginable. For how long? 40 days. Now, you know, I see that, that 40 days in Scripture over and over again. And I step back and say, you know what? There's a lot of similarities between 40 days here, 40 days there, 40 years here. What's the deal with 40? And so I looked up and I found that 40 is represented as a time of testing. It's a, it represents a time of judgment. Let me give you an example. During the great flood, it rained 40 days, a time of judgment. What about this? Israel, when it left Egypt was in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, raised in uh, Pharaoh's palace, killed an Egyptian. He fled out into the wilderness. He was able to keep sheep, make a living doing that in the wilderness for how long? Time of testing, 40 years again. I was like, no, that just can't be coincidence. And then he goes back to uh, Egypt after how long? 
So at 40 years. So he's 80 years old. He left when he was 40. He goes back when he's 80. Just by coincidence, I think that the Ford, God works in these things. Matter of fact, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Now, don't read into it more than I'm just saying that, that 40 is a time, it seems like it's a time of testing. He, Moses went into the desert as a fugitive, fearful. He comes out of the desert 40 years later as a forceful prophet. So Moses eventually leads the children, children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. They leave Egypt, spiritually weak slaves, and they go into the promised land there uh, as spiritually strong soldiers, seeing what God can do through someone that's yielded to them, who's not afraid to go into the desert. Oh, God, how about you? There's some things that you ask people to pray about, and there's some things you just keep to yourself. Some people can't do that. Some people, they get, they get a, a toenail snagged on their sock, and they're going to ask for prayer requests on the prayer chain. They're going to ask for services to be canceled and come over to their home and anoint them with oil. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm, 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 you may think it's, it's kind of laughable, but that's the way some believers that I have ministered to and with are. It's sad. There are times that Jesus asked to pray. Pray with me. And there's other times he said, no, I'm not going to mention this to you. And this is one of those times. He went into about some things you have to walk alone. You have to walk it alone. Those are waters that only you wade in. No one else can be there with you. You got to do that. Pull your chin up. Get your shoulders back. Walk in faith, child. God has not abandoned you. You say, Doug, I'm in the wilderness. That means you're nervous. Oh, my faith. Okay. Doug, there's a virus. Are, are you going to abandon your faith and your hope in God and let fear reign in your heart? Yes or no? I can only ask you that as your pastor. Anything can be your wilderness if you allow it. But in that wilderness, know that it is purposed. So when the Spirit drives us into the wilderness, it's for the purpose of developing us to reflect the image of Jesus. Jesus was driven into the desert, the wilderness, to reflect the image of his Father. He says, I only do, in another passage, I only do what my Father tells me to do. So he's just one to reflect his Father. We are wanting to reflect Jesus. So God is doing a work, you can write this down, in you, in the wilderness, in order to do a work through you when you come out of the wilderness. Write that down. I'll say it one more time. God is doing a work in you, in the wilderness, that he may do a work through you when you come out of the wilderness. God does things in the wilderness that would happen no other way. There are times that are struggle, times that are barren, times that are dry, times that are difficult, and you wouldn't be the person you are today as a believer, mature and solid in your faith if you didn't have that wilderness experience. The wilderness, write it down, develops us. Number two, write this down. The wilderness is a place of spiritual warfare. This is Jesus' time of testing. And so his hardship went on week after week. And, he, and you know, again, I say he did not know the timing of this. Don't think that he knew. We look at it as hindsight, but he did not know. He Remember, he forfeited those rights of deity. What he did, he did by faith. Don't think that, that he's some supernatural. I just want to make sure you understand this. And so week after week, for 40 days, you can calculate the weeks. 
his body grew weaker and weaker. In the desert, not, in the, not at the marketplace. He's in a desert. He's away from everybody. And the tempter would probably come at him during these times and say, the Father doesn't care for you. Otherwise, he would provide for you. He has abandoned you. You Look how many days out here and weeks now. And look how you are now. You're, you're, all, you're starving. Aren't you the Son of God? And he has made absolutely no effort to deliver you. And finally, that last subtle temptation that is recorded for us when he is at the height of hunger, Satan comes. I'm your friend. You know me. You, you know of me. I, I, I'm your friend. I want you to get well. Just turn, turn these, just turn them into bread. Turn these stones into bread. He's so helpful, isn't he? Satan is, isn't he? See how he takes it? He never tells you to do something wrong. It's always with a grain of truth to it. I'm your friend. That was only one that is recorded. And you see, after 40 days, I can see him waiting for that temptation until maybe the 40th, 39th day. Let it, let it really sink in. And you talk about a temptation, rocks would probably taste good by then. That's the way Satan gets into our mind, isn't it? We're in the desert longer than what we expected. I didn't expect to be unemployed this long. I didn't expect to have this uh, illness this long. I didn't, I didn't expect for, for this uh, rough patch in our relationship to go this long. I'm out of money, but not out of month yet. There's too much month at the end, <laughs> right? Or there's a tremendous obligation that, that strikes us, and that's exactly what the temptation that Jesus faced was. He was out there alone. Don't think that he had foreknowledge of this. No one gave him a, a memo before he went out there. All of this is new. What am I doing out here? I just felt like I needed to be out here. And then it becomes a spiritual battle. And that's why I wanted to write that down. And God will test you, as I alluded to earlier. He will test you for his love. It's all about your love. He's asked his disciples, do you love me? It's all about your love. And he will test you. You say you love me. Well, let me test that love. Let me put a little bit of obstacles there and see if you're even willing. And I've seen this in people's life before. It's a simple thing. He will ne- God will never test you to detriment your faith. So don't think he's going to give you something so high that you can't overcome it. Even, even if Satan, he allowed Satan to give you something, he says, I'm always going to make for you a way of what? It's a way of escape. So he's always, you're going to give the, you're going to test your children on different levels of what age they are, right? You wouldn't test a, 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 a a kindergarten the same way you would test a high schooler, right? Even the tests are different. And God knows that as well, where you are in your faith journey. And God says, I'm going to test you. And he's not through testing people. I, I found this poem, and I want to read it to you. It says this, when God wants to drill a man and, and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart, To create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while while his tortured heart is crying. And he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks. When his good he overtakes, how he uses whom he chooses. With every purpose fuses him, by, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. 
God knows what he's about. The wilderness is a spiritual battle. So there's a purpose to it. It's a spiritual battle. Number three, write this down. The wilderness is a place of divine protection. Don't think that you're out there alone. There's a purpose in it. What's the purpose? To make you more like Jesus, not more like anybody else, more like Jesus. Verse 13, look at it with me. And he was with the beast, the wild beast, underscore that, and the angels ministered to him. And, and I think that you think, Doug, this is interesting. The angels came and ministered. Don't think that that's something weird because he is only the son of God and he gets special preferential treatment. All of God's children get special preferential treatment. All of us that name his name and follow his ways as Christ's followers, we have angels at our beck and call. Some of you realize it, and angels were there to minister him. During this time of absolutely thought-draining time, when you, when you haven't done anything physically that would drain you, but mentally you are toast, burnt toast. And our Lord was just hit nonstop. And his thought life, I believe, was sustained. His emotions were upheld. His mental faculties kept clear. Psalm chapter 91 Verse number 11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. Question, where have you heard that verse quoted before? By whom? Satan. Satan knows scripture. Believer, do you know scripture? Jesus quoted a very lengthy scripture when he was in the synagogue of Nazareth. Let me ask you, what scripture can you quote besides, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life? If we were to go around the room today, even here at Boulder Ridge Fellowship, and we'd say, you say a verse, then after you're done with your verse, let's go back to the next row and start and work our way down, and then you go, and then you go. And then how far would it go before the thought would occur to you, doggone it, they took my verse, and you ran out. I bet some of our kids through our WANA program know more verses than some of our adults. And you call yourself a believer. You say, Doug, you're awful being awful hard today on us. No, I just believe that Satan is about to attack and he'll use anything he can. But the only way you can defend yourself is through the Word of God. Get it in your heart. If God helps you, if this is the only time that you're connecting, in the Bible, and you're hearing it read, and you're reading it, and you're studying it, you will not last. If things come out to where we can't join together, and we have to do a, a live streaming, are you going to fade away? Will your faith sustain you? Do you have anything in here eternally embedded in your very DNA? I guarantee you there are some folks that have a faith like that when, when the church can't meet together, and there are some churches today that have already canceled their service, and they're doing it through live streaming. And I wonder how many folks will leave those churches because of that, because they can't be there and be spoon-fed. We're big boys and girls, and I'm not preaching down on you. I'm not saying it condescending. I am one of you. I'm just trying to encourage you 
to do what our Lord did here. He had, before he went into the wilderness, he knew Scripture, right? I mean, he just didn't make those words up out of Isaiah chapter 61. And you see other places where he's quoting, not reading it, quoting it. And I don't care what version you use. That's up to you. But there's no excuse why you should not have his word in your heart to sustain you, to encourage you, and you don't need somebody else to do that. I know folks that, that totally go off the, off the rails when, they're, when they're, uh, uh, their, their source of life passes away. And their source of life was not God, it was somebody. Their long-life husband, their long, lifelong mate, of, of wife, husband. It could have been a, a cousin, aunt, uncle. It could have been their best friend. And man, they just, they derail. They, it's like, what happened to you? They didn't have anything internally. It's kind of like what the Bible says. There were some, there's different types of hearts, the soil, and some folks are just very shallow. And the seed goes down, and when the sun comes, guess what it does to that seed? It just burns it up because it's not down deep. You can make it. You can overcome anything just like our Lord did, but you've got to ingrain yourself with his word. You can't have Christ without his word. You can't even be saved without his word. Daniel chapter number 6, verse 22. The Bible says, My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Why do I say that? Because in your wilderness, there will be threats. Doesn't it say he was with the wild beast? So in saying that, in your wilderness, you're going to experience danger, life-threatening, pressure. It will come to you. But remember, God allowed for you to be in your wilderness. And you may not ask for anybody to pray. Did Jesus answer me? No. Jesus said you would do greater things. Again, I go back, pray about some things. Invite prayer for, for, for things. Some things, take it and walk it, and you'll be better for it, and I will too. Here, Jesus is out in there, and he's out there with the wild beast, and the Bible says that beasts were there, but also angels came and ministered to him. And I just want to stop here on this point because it's very interesting that, you know, with, with Daniel specifically, he says that they shut the lion's mouth, that it shut the lion's mouth. Now, I don't know if Daniel literally saw the angel. The, the Bible doesn't say, so let's not insert that. But it does say that Daniel was cognizant enough, whether he saw it or did not see the angel, to know that something supernaturally happened here. They threw Daniel into a pit of starving lions. They just didn't feed them every day. They're starving. So it was devour. That's what it is. It's to attack and devour. Even if it was another lion, it doesn't matter. It would devour them. And, and, and here, so here's Daniel. He certainly knew that God sent his angel to rescue him. Why? Because those starving lions didn't touch him. Close the mouth of the lion. And I say that in this. Many of us as Christ followers have experienced the ministry of angels without even realizing it. The Bible says... Do not forget to entertain strangers. Be hospitable. For by doing so, some have unwittingly or unknowingly entertained, you finish it, angels. Sometimes when your spirit is suddenly uplifted and you don't know why, that could be the ministry of angels. I like 
what uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones has wrote. I'm going through one of his commentaries, and one of it's in Romans. And in chapter 7 of Romans, I, I kind of took the ec- excerpt out as I was studying a few weeks back about this passage, and I thought I'd share it with you because I love his wording on this. This is what it says. Another very wonderful thing, and one which we tend to forget, is that every Christian has and should enjoy the privilege of the service of angels, of the angels. We notice in the Gospels that at given times in our Lord's earthly life, angels came and ministered to him, strengthening him and helping him. This is not my fancy. It means it's not not his own idea. We have it stated explicitly in the epistles to the Hebrews. uh, Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? It's talking about all believers. There, that, there, that refers to everyone who is a Christian. Because we are Christians, the angels of God are at our service. They are ministering spirits sent forth by God to serve and to minister to you and me. Though we are unconscious of this, they are exercising this ministry. We are surrounded by them. They are unseen, but they are there. They, are, they minister to us because we belong to Christ. We sadly neglect and forget the service of angels, but if you ever feel lonely and bereaved and feel that you do not know what to do nor where to turn, Remind yourself that your heavenly Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, has sent angels to minister to you as he did to him in the hours of his greatest crisis and his greatest agony. Are you feeling the anxiety that's being pumped out by media? Right or wrong, good, bad, and different, I'm not here to judge. I'm just asking, are you, are you living in that? Because as many are, Go to the grocery store and find, do they normally do that? I'm asking, are you living in light? And I wanted to give you that word today to know that you're not alone. Not only do you have God's resources, he has sent angels, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't know if that's one angel per person. I don't know, but I'm not going to debate that, but I'm just going to take God of his word and know that I'm in good hands. And you, as God's follower, are in good hands. Nothing's going to happen to you. The world is not going to end. There's not going to be an apocalypse. There's not going to be some explosion that wipes us off the face of the earth because there has to be a church for Jesus to come back to. He's not coming back for the brick, wood, and mortar. He's coming back for people. Look at the book of the Revelation. It will come and it will go. You trust in God. Don't trust in your government. Don't trust in your doctor. Come on. You'll be disappointed. Trust in God. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his angels. He's given you his church. He's given you everything that you need. I mean, what resources do you need? Put your trust in him and operate on that basis, even in the wilderness.